Welcome to Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You, a podcast about everything you need to know about teens. I'm Kathy. And I'm Meredith. And we speak teenager. Uh, did we also mention that we're best friends? We've worked as admission officers, prep school administrators, and most importantly, have coached thousands of teens. In other words, we have seen it all. So join us every week as we give you the lowdown on all the shit your teenager isn't telling you. Because trust us, there's a lot of it. And if you don't know what to do with the teenagers in your life, don't worry. We've got your back. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You. And this week we have an exciting special guest who Meredith and I have both had the pleasure of working with in our careers. I just asked him when we started working together. It was 2005. So it's been a minute. <laughs> a minute. <laughs> a minute. So I'll introduce our guest, it's Gary. Hello, Gary Clark, who Hello. is now... As of today, the Associate Vice Chancellor of Admissions. For enrollment, right? For enrollment. For enrollment management. Where? At UCLA. There we go. (laughs) At UCLA. And it's the University of California, Los Angeles. And the funny thing is, in 2005, we met working at USC. That's right. Crosstown Rivals. I converted. Just (laughs) Just a quick trip down the 10. Trojan yeah, okay. to Bruin. Yep. That's right. Trojan to Bruin. I remember when you left USC, you were like, boo! <laughs> <laughs> You're going to UCLA! But Gary has had a long career in ad- admissions. You've also worked in admissions at Pitzer and William & Mary, USC, and now UCLA. Right. So public and private, mostly large although and small, large and small. Pitzer's tiny in yeah. comparison to a place like UCLA, right? Definitely. So you've got a breadth of experience. So we're really excited to have him on the podcast today. So let's get started with our burning questions since we've got you in the hot seat. Sounds good. So so I'm going to start and I want to talk about a hot topic in admissions right now. And we promised our listeners, we did an episode around the end of affirmative action and the ruling in the Supreme Court recently. And we said, you know what, Meredith and I are not experts on this topic, but we are going to bring some folks who are. So Gary, you're definitely one of those people. So can you talk a little bit about how the UC system has handled race-blind admissions for the last, how many years has it been for the UC system? Uh, 96, 97 is when 209 uh, was passed. Yeah, Right. So it's been a while. So tell us a little bit about your wisdom, your insights on how that's affected the admissions process, what advice you have for folks as they are entering this new landscape. Sure. Yeah, no, thanks. First, thanks for inviting me to, to be on uh, your podcast. Nice to see you both and, and happy to be here. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and be fairly brief in this response because it's one I could probably go on at, at length about. But yes, so the Supreme Court decision obviously impacted colleges and universities across the country, but there are a number of schools and states and systems that were already in race-neutral admission space and hiring space in certain states across the country, California being one of them. So since 96-97 and passage of, of Prop 209, uh, voter referendum, we are not able to consider race, ethnicity, or gender in, in the admission process. And when it was initially passed, it had 
a really devastating effect on on diversity at, at UCLA and, and a number of other kind of UCs and, and Cal States. So it's taken the better part of a quarter century now to learn what are the things that we we can do to attract and admit and enroll a, a diverse student body each year. We didn't have it figured out day one, and I think that it's taken a lot of time to figure out the types of things that we can do and how to engage with students and families and high schools and community colleges and community-based organizations and faith-based organizations. I name all those groups because there isn't any one office that can kind of come in and intervene and have an impact on these things. What has been successful for us has been the development and, and sustaining really important partnerships, especially with schools and school districts mm -hmm. and really supporting our community-based organizations. The idea was to, especially as UCLA has become increasingly competitive, to first and foremost remind all students, but especially underrepresented students and students of color, that they are welcome here, that this is a community that wants them here. This is a community that embraces them and their identities and wants to create a space in our academic environment that is very welcoming and, and inclusive. And I think that message is important. And I think that's one of the things that colleges and universities need to be doing, especially now post-SCOTUS, is make sure that students don't get the impression that now this means that somehow they're less committed to having mm -hmm. a diverse student body. So it's been kind of partnerships and developing those along the way. It's been a real shift in kind of the way we approach admission. Things used to be very much kind of an academic index type process at the University of California. We implemented comprehensive review in 2006, mm -hmm. and that allows us to look more comprehensively at a student's application, grades, curriculum, engagement outside of class. We ask a series of what are called personal insight questions, kind of our version of the college essay, a process that enables us to understand context, access to educational opportunities, and really evaluate students in that appropriate context of are they taking advantage of what's available to them and not penalizing them for opportunities that aren't available to them. So it's been a, a combination of those things that I think has really allowed us to, to not only get back to where we were before Prop 209, but even kind of excel beyond that in terms of representation of underrepresented groups on our campus. So still a work in progress. We are still learning mm -hmm. and innovating and finding new ways to attract and enroll a student body that really reflects the diversity of our state. So we've learned a little bit along the way, but, but we're not done. So more to come. Do you have a prediction of what you think will happen this year with admissions results? I don't know. I, I admit I will. I'm a little concerned. And I think to that point I made earlier, like I, I hope that there isn't a chilling effect that students don't think that now colleges and universities are somehow less interested in attracting and enrolling a diverse student body. I certainly hope that that's not the case. I think colleges like the decision came out in the summer and, you know, many of them are going to start reading applications here pretty soon. And so I think there was a real like, mm -hmm. all right, we've got to really figure out how to make the changes we need to make to be in good legal standing. But also, how do we still find ways to attract the students that are so important to our university? And I think it's about it's about understanding what is your mission as a university? What is your mission as a campus? What are your values and how do you ensure that everything you're doing in the admission and, and financial aid space really re reflects those values? I think if we can tie those things together, colleges are going to find their way forward. So I, I don't think colleges are going to just say, oh, well, you know, I, 
different day now. They're going to think of what are the ways that we can, uh, you know, within within the law, continue to attract and enroll a diverse student body. So mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, nothing too much like a chilling effect, but certainly we'll all be watching closely this year. It makes me think about one of the things that I really enjoy about counseling students who are applying to the UC system that I don't think they enjoy as much is to me, the UC system has done a wonderful job of being very direct and clear about guidelines. Here's what we look at. Here are the classes we need, including even for transfer students. Here are the courses you need in this order by this time, if you attend a California community college. And so to me, the the UC system feels sort of beautifully straightforward and comprehensive all at the same time. But I know, and Kathy, you can kind of disabuse me of this notion that when we counsel students, particularly on the UC system, they experience it sometimes as sort of an opaque, Mm -hmm. massive sort of system. There's all these different schools and no one gets into Berkeley. And But I heard if you apply to this major versus that major, and there's a lot of, and this is just true, I think, of any admission process lore that surrounds different campuses or the system more broadly. So I just think since we have you here, it'd be a great opportunity to sort of do a little bit of myth busting on some of those really inaccurate stereotypes that you and your your team is on the receiving end of. You know, what do you see as sort of the the biggest misunderstandings that students or families have about the UC process? No, it's a good question. And and I think certainly, especially as things have gotten more competitive at, at UCLA, but throughout the UC system, those kinds of questions get louder and louder. It is incredibly challenging, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about my campus kind of as an example, and I'll try and speak more broadly where I can. So this past year in the freshman process, we received 146,000 freshman applications. Our admit rate was about 9%. That is incredibly challenging for us, and, and there's not a lot of sympathy for admission folks out there, but we take no pleasure in how selective things have become. You know, I, I say all the time in all kinds of different spaces, sometimes selectivity is not a philosophy, it's just arithmetic. We are as selective as we have to be to hit our enrollment targets without overshooting the mark. But the challenge that we really face is is certainly in part the volume, but it's also the quality and the makeup of our applicant pool. The students that are choosing to apply to UCLA, and this is the case for many UCs, have not only grown in volume, but they've really grown in quality. These Mm -hmm. are students who are doing Mm -hmm. incredibly well in high school. They're earning strong grades. They're taking advantage of rigor available to them and in their school community. And what that means is the quality of students that we're admitting each year is, is getting stronger in a lot of ways. But the unfortunate side effect of that is the quality of students that we're denying each year is also getting better because it's a self-selective applicant pool. There aren't a lot of bad students applying mm-hmm. to our institution. And what that kind of selectivity leads to is a lot of speculation and almost always wrong speculation as to I didn't get in because of blank. Mm-hmm. And you you kind of chose major. If a student's applying to a major in the College of Letters and Science here as a freshman, the major doesn't have any impact on the admission decision. But I hear often that students say, well, you know, I, I applied to biology uh, and I didn't get in. Therefore, biology is a really tough major to get into. It's like, well, the major didn't have anything to do with the admission decision, you know, but students will make that assumption. There's often the assumption, too, that that somehow if you've applied to multiple UCs, we're, we're kind of peeking over the fence to see what's happening with your application at another campus. And that couldn't be further from the truth. We don't have knowledge of or consider in any way whether a student has applied to any other UC and whether they've gotten into to that UC or not. 
all we care about is that you've chosen to apply to our campus and we're assessing your candidacy and your fit with our campus, you know, regardless of whether you've applied to no other UCs or six other UCs. It doesn't have any impact on, on the admission decision. So it's challenging. And I think, honestly, mm-hmm. when UC went test-free several years ago, that was another one of those things that sometimes people would try and triangulate decisions based on on those test scores. And now that we're not considering SAT or ACT, I think it sometimes makes it seem maybe even more random to students in some ways when that's not the case either. We've got plenty of strong evidence of students' academic ability in the application, you know, without those standardized test scores. So it's understandable. And I think as demand for UCLA and UC has grown and continues to grow, it's one of those things that I think is is going to be a little bit more challenging. But the advice there is really just think broadly. Look at all the UCs, you know, really think about the great opportunities that each of them offer. I often tell students selectivity is not a proxy for quality. So don't assume that just because a place has a low admit rate means it's the right place for you or means it's better than a place that has a more modest admit rate. It's not a reflection of the quality of the institution. That's great. Thank you, Gary. It makes me think one of the things that we hear from parents all the time about UC and about college admissions in general is, well, you know, it's just a lottery. At some point, you're qualified, and then they, it's just like a random picking. It's just random. Kids. So right. how, do you, how do you respond to that? First of all, this, this hair has not been this great. <laughs> you know, honestly, and, and this, is, this has been true at every place I've, I've been, you know, and, and I can say the way that we read applications here is more similar to the way we read applications at Pitzer, a small liberal arts college, than anybody would ever imagine. Every freshman application is read at least twice before an admission decision is made. Two independent reviews, two different people. The second person who reads can't see how the first person evaluated the application. Transfer applications, same thing. We're looking at those very closely. They all get a full kind of holistic review in the application. So we we really commit the entirety of the beginning of December through March for our freshmen and through the middle of April for our transfers to staring at screens like this and reading applications. It takes an inordinate amount of time, lots of eyeballs, lots of hours to read these applications in the way that we think they need to be read. Our process is holistic. You know, if all we cared about were numbers and maximizing GPAs, we could do that with an Excel file in a hot minute. But we take the time to to honor what the student has shared with us in the application, to read all their personal insight questions, to get to know them as best we can in that application and then make often some really, really tough decisions about who's who's going to be admitted. But, you know, students can rest assured that we are taking the time to evaluate every single application thoroughly before an admission decision is made. We don't kind of weed anybody out. We read them all, read them the same way. Yeah. And what I, I've always told families, and I was, I was like, it's enrollment management is a bit of a science. Like there is actual work and goals and targets that are being set and yeah. Universities are paying attention to all of that, right? It's not just like, we like you. Right. Okay, admit. <laughs> right? It's not No, that and that's especially true for highly competitive institutions. Like the demand far out, far exceeds the capacity. And we're charged by the campus to enroll a class of a certain size and, you know, students that are, you know, in different schools and, you know, different, different colleges and universities have different kind of goals and priorities and mm-hmm. targets that they have to attend to. So it definitely is a lot of work to make sure that you hit the mark and don't over-enroll, which can be bad, and don't Mm under-enroll, which can also be bad, but to hit that sweet spot of of hitting those targets. 
It makes me think, and we haven't, you know, Gary, I apologize if this is a little outside sort of your main domain, but it really makes me think about the California community college system and its relationship with the UC system. And I'm just wondering, I think that's not something that maybe everyone is as familiar with as obviously Kathy and I, maybe you could speak a little bit to the transfer process at UCLA or at the UCs more globally and sort of why a California community college path could be a very viable option for a student. No, I'm really glad you asked about that, Meredith. I think, you know, I I wish more people would ask about it because it is something that I think UCLA and the UCs take an extraordinary amount of pride in as, as they should. So for those that don't know, the University of California is committed to enrolling at least one new transfer student for every two new freshmen each year. So this year in our incoming class, we'll enroll probably 36, 3,700 transfer students in our incoming class. And that's something, you know, 90, usually 93% of the or so of those students come from California community colleges. So it is absolutely a, a pathway to UCLA and UC. The process is different. It's in some ways you could look at it and say it's less competitive. The admit rate this past year was, I think, 23 or 24% for our transfer students. But the big difference is it's very major specific. Like we are looking at major prep Mm -hmm. and have you taken the right courses and how are you performing Mm -hmm. in those courses and that type of thing. So it's a little different in that way for transfers. But absolutely, you know, I think it, I think it's a great pathway for lots of different students for lots of different reasons. It could be financial. It could be that, you know, if you don't get the results you're hoping for, you think you need to continue to develop a bit as a student, Going to a community college is a great way to do that. Or it may just be that I think this is the right path for me. Like I, I'm going to go to a community college and we'll do a couple of years worth of work and I'm going to transfer. And, you know, six of the nine UCs, not us, not San Diego, not Berkeley, but six of the nine UCs have what are called transfer admission guarantees, which basically if you apply to a certain major and you take appropriate classes and you earn a certain GPA, you can be guaranteed admission to that campus through that transfer admission guarantee pathway. So. I encourage students to think about that. At the end of the process, at the end of your undergraduate career, nobody's going to ask where you started. They're going to look at that diploma and know where you finished. And community colleges, I think, do an incredible job of preparing students and helping to support them and transferring to UC or wherever they might be interested in and transferring to complete their undergrad. Awesome. I wish I, honestly, looking back now, I wish I had transferred. Like, I was not ready yeah, you needed like, that. Yeah, just maturity one and ready to go to college, which is why I flunked out of USC. So <laughs> I went back and finished. But, you know, transfer would have been great. I'm talking I about it more. Because yeah. It's so what I love about it that, you know, so much of what Kathy and I do in our conversations with families is reassure them that the folks on the other side of the desk are a real people who are looking really deeply and holistically at applications and being very thoughtful about constructing a class. But that's hard sometimes for our families to kind of hang their hat on. And so for those families that have a lot of anxiety about it, like, okay, look, if you want something that's pretty black and white, where literally the pathway is laid out for you in a nice PDF document that you can find on the website, look at this pathway. And I don't know about you, Kathy, but I am actually having more of those conversations now than than I used to which I find encouraging. And we are so blessed with having the best, I mean, maybe I'm biased, but I think the best community college system in the country. Yeah, yeah, agree. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that we're talking about transferring. I talk about it with kids all the time. I yeah. bring it up as an option all the time. Like if your dream is UCLA, 
if you don't get in, you can transfer, like do well on your courses, make sure you're doing what you need to do following the A through G, like talk to your counselor at your community college, make sure you're on track. You know, you will have a pretty good shot of getting in as a transfer student. Because what we hear from families or like kids who don't get into UC, right, when they're like, had their heart set on, right? And they'll say, oh, I wish I didn't go to Menlo, the school that I used to work at, prep school. Mm. I wish I went to MA, which is our local public school. And that way, I would have had a way better chance because I would have had a higher UC GPA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and UC doesn't care that Menlo is a private school. You know, it doesn't care about how, how rigorous our classes and blah, blah, blah. Like, what do you say to those? I know what I say to those families, but what would you say to a, a kid who said that to you? Yeah, I mean, so the the word, there are a couple of buzzwords we use in describing our process a lot. You know, one of them is authenticity. Another one is context. So I'll, I'll focus on the context one right now. Like when we are evaluating an application and, and looking at a student's, you know, in this case, let's talk about just kind of the academic background for the student. We're looking at it in the context of the school that they attend and the opportunities available to them in that mm-hmm. educational environment. And what that means is a 3-8 is not a 3-8 is not a 3-8. You know, mm-hmm. a 3-8 in one school and one curriculum can mean something very different than a 3-8 in another school in a different curriculum. And yes, there are some schools throughout the state, both private and public, where you might get a UC weighted GPA 4.5, 4.6. And all of a sudden people think I need to have that to mm-hmm. be competitive at UC. But there are plenty of other schools where you're not going to get above a four because they either don't offer APs or they don't offer IB or they don't offer honors designated classes. We're not going to penalize that student because they go to a school that has a different philosophy and approach to their curriculum. What we're going to do is evaluate them in the context of that particular school group. So that student, you know, it's not we're we're not lining things up in a linear way and drawing a line across the number of admission offers we're going to make. It's really that contextual, holistic review of the application that helps us to know what's behind the numbers. Like, what are we really looking at? What kinds Mm -hmm. of classes did the student take? And Mm -hmm. where are their academic strengths? And where do they seem to be excelling in terms of the courses they've taken in high school? So Mm -hmm. I think that's inevitable. I think that's one of those kind of reverse engineering habits that people try to do of, you know, Mm -hmm. well, I Mm -hmm. heard from, you know. Absolutely. I always kind of talk about it as kind of the gospel according to the neighbor. Well, I heard that so-and-so went to this school and had this GPA and got admitted. And so that's. I love, I love that you're here because I love myth busting. Cause you know, we'll say, you don't know. And I'm like, you don't know. Let's Gary will tell you. So (laughs) (laughs) the gospel Uh, according to the neighbor. I like that. (laughs) And Gary, I got one more. Do you have to take a certain amount of students from certain high schools? No. Thank you. No. I mean, the only, <laughs> Dan, I mean, fly, it's a flat no. And that's both at the freshman and the transfer level. We don't have any specific targets or thresholds or caps or anything like that on the number of students we take from any given high school or community college in any given year. The only targets that all UCs have, they basically boils down, and this is a very broad brushstroke, but it boils down to really, we have four targets. We have a freshman California resident target, a freshman non-resident target, a transfer California resident target, a transfer non-resident target. That's it. Like there isn't any other restriction or threshold or anything in terms of where students attend high school throughout the state or public or private or it's a non-entity. We are looking for great students who are taking advantage of the opportunities available to them in, in whatever school that might be and 
But what can happen is sometimes, like we, there are a couple of programs here that are really in high demand, engineering, nursing, you know, sometimes film, you know, sometimes these majors can be super competitive and Mm -hmm. a large number of students from a given school in a given year are applying to some of those competitive majors. That can have an impact on on some of the admission outcome, but it, it has nothing to do with anything related to goals or targets or caps or anything like that as far as high schools and community colleges go. Do you release admit rates? Is UC, I don't think UC does that. They don't admit, uh, release admit yeah, rates yeah. by school, do you? Yeah. Oh, you do. Oh, by school? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could you could find it. Yeah. If you if you ever want to look, like there's something called the UC Info Center. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the UC data warehouse, and anybody can go on that site and look up all kinds of granular information about apps, admits, enrolled by campus, by high school, by community college, by all kinds of pivot tables and. This is why I love the UC system because it's so, there's so much info. There's transparency. I thought of another one. There's transparency. I thought of another one. Gary, all the out-of-state and international students are taking California spots. Well, I didn't mean to, like, the response to that is, no, they're not. Like, so (laughs) the way that I kind of explain this and this, I'll I'll, I'll kind of focus more on kind of UCLA as, as it relates to this. So back in 2008, when the budget crisis happened, the massive you know, impact across the country, but especially felt here in California, the UC budget was cut by several hundred million dollars in a given year. And so that was the time when the University of California started to increase its targets for non-resident students because there was a need to, to make up for some of that, that shortfall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, and the non-resident fees that, that students from out, outside of California pay. So there's a cap in the system that says we cannot enroll more than 18% of our undergraduate students from outside of California. Well, when UCLA started to increase enrollment of non-resident students, we never decreased the enrollment of California residents. So those additional students didn't come at the expense of California resident students. And in fact, we have Mm -hmm. several years been increasing our California resident targets and increasing enrollment of California residents at both the freshman and the transfer level as a part of kind of a compact and an agreement with the state to do everything we can to really increase capacity at the University of California and increase enrollment of California residents. So when we did increase those non-resident targets, that did not lead to a decrease in the number of Mm -hmm. California residents that we were enrolling even then. And now we're actually on the upswing in terms of the number of California residents that we're enrolling each year. Mm Mm-hmm. That's great. That's crazy to me. I was just thinking like 146,000 freaking applications. Like, is that a, where do you see? 24,000 transfer. How many? 24,000 transfer. Got it. That's crazy. That's crazy. Is there like a point in which you notice like a big spike in applications? Well, we had been on an upward trend. I got here in, in 2012. We had been on kind of an upward trend. I think especially as California resident applications were going up, but especially non-resident applications started going up during that time. But I think the big jump then happened when UC went test-free. Yeah, mm-hmm. We went from 108,000 the year before to 139,000 to 149,000 in the next mm. two years in terms of our, our application. So I think that change had a pretty profound impact at UCLA and at all the UCs in terms of the number of students that were applying and, and kind of the makeup of our applicant pool. So I would I would point to that year as as being a clear milestone and and mm-hmm. demarcation point where applications really spiked a good bit. They're now starting to level a little bit mm-hmm. mercifully at the freshman level. 
transfers, I think, honestly went down a little bit. And that was concerning to us hmm. because enrollment at California Community Colleges post-pandemic has really gone down a good bit. Mm-hmm. I think last fall, the California Community Colleges were down about 17 or 18 percent in enrollment at California Community Colleges. So that was a bit more of a concern. But I think we're hearing now that things might be rebounding this fall and they're going to see some potential increases in enrollment in the fall term. And that was just to clarify, that's what UC was hoping, right? That you would get applications from students who they felt testing would prevent them from applying. Yes, yes. Yeah. It, and that's that's kind of the the point to make. It wasn't it wasn't a move to increase app volume. Like right. we're Lord, like we we're good. We're good. <laughs> we, we, it's, not, it's not about volume, but it is about makeup. And and this is something, you know, when I was I was at Pitzer when Pitzer went test optional, but I very much appreciate UC's decision to be test free. I think it's much to explain. It makes much more sense in the review process because we're not talking between students who have scores and students who don't. And the impact that I think it had, and we noticed this in terms of kind of the the makeup of the applicant pool, not only do we see increased applications from underrepresented students, but we also saw an increase in the quality of students that were applying. Mm. And what I read into that, what I infer from those two things happening kind of at the same time is that we're, there were a lot of students, underrepresented and otherwise, high-performing students who were self-selecting out of the process because they thought that test score was going to be the thing that kept them out. Mm-hmm. And now that that kind of barrier has been removed, now they're free to really just think about, is this the right fit? Certainly knowing it's competitive, but thinking more about the experience and fit, and is this the right place for me without that perception of the test score is going to be the thing that makes or breaks my application holding them up from even considering us. Absolutely. Gary, can you just quickly explain, I mean, Kathy and I explained it a lot, but can you just sort of clarify, because I literally heard it this, I heard it yesterday from a parent that, well, I heard that if we don't send our scores to a UC school, that that will be noticed. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. So if you could just quickly explain what test free really means. It's not even populated in the application. Like we don't, when we're reading an application, there is no way that we would know whether a student has sent scores to us independently or not. Everything that we evaluate is self-reported by the student in the application. And this is maybe a less known fact, but like the University of California, we do not collect transcripts at the point of application. We ask students to self-report all that information in the application. So there is no knowledge of a student's SAT or ACT scores when we're evaluating an application. Later on, if and when a student chooses to enroll, there are opportunities to send the test scores for placement and that type of thing. But that is completely independent from the admission review process and and isn't evaluated or seen by our our staff in admission. It's interesting. As we think about this issue of equity, as you're talking, I'm thinking like, oh, you know, maybe this is the direction college applications will move now that we're post-SCOTUS, right? That the College will actually be like, you know what? Letters of recommendation are inequitable because kids at private schools get really fancy ones. And you see, there are no letters. Kids are like, kids are like, what do you mean I don't send my letters of recommendation? Mm-hmm. I'm like, they don't look yeah. at them. There's four short answers, right? That are very straightforward. Yeah. You don't have to be some brilliant, beautiful, deep thinker or writer <laughs> to be able to answer them, right? And you don't need test scores. Like, wow, that seems like a way more equitable and just digestible application process, right? There's not 50,000 
supplements about why you want to go to school here. What does creativity mean to you? Like, whatever the thing yeah. is, well, actually, UC does have a creativity essay, but it's not about like... Well, it's not about demonstrated interest. It's not right. about interviews. It's not about... Right. It's so, it, it's transparent. I think that's the word yeah. that you used I, earlier. Yeah. And it, the the other word I mentioned earlier, authenticity, like when it comes to, like you mentioned, kind of our personal insight questions, I think especially now with with AI, there's there's the temptation out there for students to just kind of turn over the writing of their college essay or personal insight questions to AI. And it's like, God, for a hundred different reasons, don't, don't do that. Like, I think AI can be used appropriately to help students to start to form their thoughts and that kind of thing. But the second that you turn your voice over to any yeah. any entity outside of you, the student, it's a swing and a miss. Like we are not we're not going through these personal insight questions in a way that is like circling misplaced commas and correcting grammar. It's about content. It's about knowing the student, because like you said, we don't collect letters of recommendation. We don't interview students. The only opportunity we have to hear the student's voice in the application is what they share with us in response to those personal insight questions. So please don't cede that voice to anybody outside of you, the student, because that voice and that content is really what's what's most critical mm-hmm. to us. And we, you know, like just a couple other things that are somewhat distinct about UC, like we don't consider legacy. You know, mm-hmm. we don't consider whether a student has a family member that attended any UC campus. We don't even ask the question mm-hmm. uh, in the application. So I, I think we're we're improving and we're getting better all the time. But I think there are a number of things that UC really has gotten right and kind of how they, they mm-hmm. go about kind of the comprehensive holistic review process. That's great. I love that. And I hope colleges, other colleges look to you as a model for how to do things moving forward, right? Mm-hmm. So last question, I know we're running out of time with you, but we know you have a teenager, a teenager <laughs> <laughs> in your life, a son that used to be a tiny little boy that we knew many moons ago, who is now a sophomore. Is that right? Oh, oh my goodness. That's, that's crazy. wild. I think yeah, I saw a picture crazy. on Facebook and he looks like a redwood tree. He's so tall. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I never say it in front of him, but he's taller than me at this point. No, I still act like I'm taller than him. That's not cool. The, the physical proof says different. You know? <laughs> so I wanted to ask you if being a dad to a teenager who's about to go through admission process pretty soon has yeah. changed your perspective at all on your work. And then also what advice are you going to give your son when he applies to UC? Because I know he's gonna. <laughs> yeah, no, I honestly, and I, I, I mean this sincerely, I, I don't think I'm happy thus far that both his mom and I have maintained this very kind of what we feel is a level-headed approach to supporting him in the college process. Yeah. You know, my son is incredibly bright. The the thing that I I am most proud of is that he's kind, that he cares about his friends and that mm-hmm. he's he's a he's a balanced kid. Mm-hmm. I want him to go somewhere where he's going to be happy. Yeah. You know, I don't care if it's a hyper-selective place. Like I don't. Like I I want him to have a high school experience that he enjoys that he's doing things that he loves to do because he loves to do them. Now, make no mistake, we're all on him to make sure that he's turning things in and doing his work and working hard. But if we really feel like he's giving 100%, then the grade is going to be what the grade is going to be. But if he's given 100%, he's going to do well. You know, So that's that's the push for us. And I think I hope that we can kind of maintain that perspective because I don't want him to feel that kind of pressure that if he doesn't go to some top 30 college or university that he's going to be disappointing his family. Mm-hmm. That's not mm-hmm. the case. You know, I, I want him to hear that early and often 
that we want to support him. Now, bring home a C and you're sleeping outside. But, you know, like otherwise, I think we we really have kind of embraced him and supported him. And I think he's he's growing and learning and doing all the things that he should be doing as a teenager. But, you know, I hope we can kind of keep that balance as we as we get to the actual process here in a couple of years. When you go to back to school nights, do you go in disguise? <laughs> I no, I've, I've, I don't think I've really been noticed quite yet at any of his events, but occasionally I'll go into some of those circles and I'll hear discussion about college and it takes everything in me to, to just kind of bite my tongue and, you know, (laughs) let the professionals and the counselors there like handle those conversations. So the last question, the real last question, what's your best piece of advice for parents and students who are listening who are planning to apply to UC? You've given a lot. But what's your like? Yeah, final? I mean, I've, I've I've shared a couple of things, I think, specific to UC. I, I think really when it comes to the personal insight question, just just be authentic and be thoughtful. Remember, we don't know you outside of what you there's no safety net from a counselor or a teacher that's writing about things that you forget to write about. So you need to be your own mm-hmm. self-advocate in terms of what you share in responses to those questions. Just plan ahead. We don't care if you turn in the application on the first day that you can turn it in, but don't wait until 11.59 p.m. on November 30th to click submit, because you know, we have about that much sympathy on December 1st for students who didn't get the app in on time. So, so plan ahead. My general advice, though, for parents, and I, I, I've shared this in other, other forums, is your students are listening. Like you, you very much are kind of an emotional barometer for them in this process. And if you're anxious and always talking about college, like they're going to internalize that pressure. Mm -hmm. I've heard counselors give advice, like pick a night each week as your your students get closer to the process and say, all right, this is the night that we talk about college stuff. The other nights, you're free to be a teenager and and talk about the things that are important to you and, you know, and, and not feel like your life is dominated by all things college. So parents, just let your students know that you support them. Let them steer the bus. Let them make the calls. Let them send the emails. We know they're busy. We know they got a lot going on, but we really don't want to hear from a parent, you know, saying my son or daughter has this question. We want the student to really lead with those questions. We're happy to help and support in any way we can, but, you know, we want to see the students front and center in in this process. So try to enjoy it. Like it, it can be a process that is stressful in some ways, but, you know, it's a real opportunity for growth and an opportunity to really celebrate and, and support students as they as they kind of pick where they're going to spend the next four years of their life. So so just have fun with it. You know, they're going to be gone soon. And don't let the last year that you have with them before they go off to college be full of stress and anxiety. You know, try and compartmentalize that where you can. Wise words. Gary. Gary's the best. Gary's the <laughs> best. Thank you so uh, much for joining us and yeah. just imparting so much. Just candid, clear information to our listeners. It's such a pleasure. It's of course really great to see you again. And we appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Good deal. Well it's good to see you both. Thanks so much. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Gary.